You are listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for HR and business leaders. We talk about things like leadership, well-being at work, diversity and inclusion, and the future of work. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted that you have joined me today. This episode is taking a little bit of a different approach than I would normally take. So typically the podcast is based around interviews. So I will get experts in and talk to them about different topics around leadership, diversity and inclusion, the future of work and well-being at work. But I have decided to integrate some solo episodes into the podcast as well. So if there's anything in particular that you would love to know more about, please let me know. Reach out on LinkedIn or connect with me through Instagram, either happieratwork.ie. I would absolutely love to hear from you and what topics you would be interested in learning more about. The topic for today is imposter syndrome, and it coincides with the launch of my program, Imposter to Empowered. If you would like to know more about that program, you will find more details on impostersyndrome.ie. And in today's show, I'm going to talk about exactly what imposter syndrome is, how it shows up, when it shows up, so what some of those triggers could be, who gets it, the five different types of imposter, and then I'm going to conclude the show with what can we actually do about it. So in kicking things off, I want to, I suppose, clarify exactly what imposter syndrome is. Maybe you've heard the term before, maybe you've felt like this before, but it's really that feeling of self-doubt, but it's even beyond self-doubt because it's the feeling that you're going to be found out as a fraud. And it's not just doubting your own abilities, it's that fear of being caught out as if you're not good enough to do what it is that you're doing, as if you just got lucky to get the position that you're in. And so it's a real fear and it can happen at various stages in our careers. And in fact, up to 70% of people experience imposter syndrome at some point in their career. I see that statistic bandied around all the time and I'm not sure the original source of it, but it's definitely something that is cited in a lot and a lot of different places. Now, when I hear about the 70%, in some ways I think, wow, 70%, it's such a high amount of people suffering from imposter syndrome. But equally, I think of who are the other 30% who have never experienced imposter syndrome or who will never experience imposter syndrome. So it kind of, it goes both ways in that sense. Some of the ways then that imposter syndrome can show up. So it can be a little bit sneaky. And I certainly have experienced imposter syndrome in my career on multiple occasions and sometimes didn't even realize it was imposter syndrome until someone else had to actually illustrate to me, am I holding myself back in some way? Am I not really shining? Am I not really putting myself forward? Am I not being visible enough? 
Probably one of the more relatable aspects of imposter syndrome is the idea of perfectionism. And that is certainly one way that imposter syndrome shows up. So you're so afraid of putting yourself out there. You are afraid of making mistakes, of being judged by people, and you need to make sure that everything is absolutely perfect. And we all know that there is no such thing as perfect. And so we can hold ourselves back by saying, well, it's not ready yet. It's, I can't share it with the world. You know, all of these kind of things going on in our head or if we take the approach that we have completed something but we make a mistake and we really berate ourselves for making that one tiny mistake that most people probably didn't even notice and we put that down to us being not good enough to do whatever it was that we were assigned to do. Another way then that it can show up is this idea of procrastination. So putting things off and and leaving them and always finding a reason not to do what it is that you know deep down you really, really want to do because you're coming up with all of these reasons not to do it. And it's getting in the way of you achieving what you really want to achieve. And the the underlying fear then is that you're again this idea of, you know, what will people think? What will people say? They're going to realize that I'm not good enough. They're going to realize I have no idea what I'm talking about. All of these little things going on in our head. Another sneaky way then that it can show up is this idea of leaving things till the very last minute. And I know certainly I have done this in my career where you think, uh, why bother trying? I'm not going to succeed anyway. And you leave things till the very last minute and actually you know, in some cases it works out well, but in a lot of cases, leaving things to the last minute, you don't give yourself a proper chance and then you put it down to not being good enough rather than the lack of preparation. So you put it down to, well, I knew I was going to fail anyway, uh, rather than, well, I didn't really give myself sufficient time to prepare properly for this event or for this particular project, whatever it might be. Another way that it can show up is by comparing ourselves to others and thinking that other people know so much more than we do. And we think that we know this tiny amount and that that other people, you know, the collective other people know so, so much more than we do. And the collective, it could be the case that they do know more than we do, but each individual person doesn't necessarily know more than what we know ourselves. And another way, this is something new that I learned, which I thought was quite interesting, is this perception that we think that other people think that we are better than we actually are. So we've somehow pulled the wool over their eyes for all of these years and they've promoted us or they just think we're brilliant and they're hiring us because somehow their their perception of us is that we're much better than what the reality is. And so this is another way that, that it can show up. And I think that's a really interesting way. So we think somehow that other people's judgment of us is not the reality. Another way that we can kind of think about imposter syndrome is you put down your achievements down to being in the right place at the right time. Uh, I got lucky and I know certainly in my career, I, when I got a promotion at one stage, I thought, isn't this great? Delighted to get the promotion, but also putting it down to, well, they didn't really have many other options or any other options. And 
that's the reason that I was chosen for this particular role. It wasn't because they think I'm so amazing. They think I'm so brilliant. I put it down to, well, they didn't really have that many other options. And maybe that's something that you feel. And, you know, it is about addressing those thoughts and those beliefs that we have about ourselves. Moving on to when it shows up as well. So it can be triggered by various different particular instances. So I know in my case, I took an extended break from work to go and travel. And it wasn't until years later that I realized it was kind of like taking a maternity break, except it was longer than a a typical maternity break. But then returning to the work without any sort of support, without any sort of acknowledgement that I had been out of the work environment for well over a year. And so taking those kind of breaks from work, and returning into a working environment can be a real trigger of like, everyone has moved on. They're they're using this new technology that I have no idea about. And, you know, I have no idea what I'm doing. All of these things can show up in those cases. So whether that is, you know, a long-term illness and you're returning to the workforce, it could be a maternity leave or a paternity leave or leaving to travel as I did. So all of these things can can really trigger imposter syndrome. It can show up as well when something happens, like we start a new job and we just doubt our own abilities and we're not sure whether we really belong. Do we really fit in here? Does everyone else know much more? Do they give me the job because they didn't really have that that many good candidates? And I only got it because they had very few people to choose from. So starting a new job can certainly act as a trigger for imposter syndrome and just starting out as well. So if you've just finished college, for example, or if you've changed industries and you're starting in this new situation and you're surrounded by people who you perceive know way more than you do and you're gonna get found out. Becoming a new manager, so managing people for the first time and feeling that sense of being out of your depth and you don't know what you're doing. So that's another trigger. Or if you get promoted, uh, that's certainly something that has happened to me in, in the experience I just shared where you're like, oh, well, they didn't have very many other people to choose from. And that's why I got the job. So convincing ourselves that really we were just there for luck rather than anything else. Moving into a really senior position then as well. So the interesting thing about imposter syndrome is it seems to mostly affect people who are high achievers. And so high achievers tend to work harder. They tend to progress through through the corporate ladder for want of a better word. And so when they reach this certain level of um, experience or success, let's call it, depending on how you define success, but they reach a specific level where the outside perception will be there's, you know, I, I would love to reach that level because there's no way I'd feel like an imposter anymore. I would know that I have quote unquote made it. And there's this kind of perception that once you once you get there, you won't feel like an imposter. And certainly from my conversations with people who have got to that kind of perceived level of outward success, 
it tends to rear its ugly head then. So you, you think that it's not, it's definitely not going to impact me, but actually, you know, you're kind of looking around at your peers going, what am I doing here? I don't belong. They're going to, they're going to realize I have no idea what I'm talking about. I just got lucky. All of these things can come up for us. Another way it can come up is when you start on a new project. So again, being surrounded by other people and you feel that you don't necessarily have much to contribute, that you are you know, surrounded by these all of these other experts. And so that's something that can trigger it as well. And I know certainly starting out in business as as I did and even growing the business, it's there's this phrase that I really love and it's called new level, new devil. So just when you think you've kind of got the imposter syndrome under control, your business grows or you go grow through a, a growth spurt or, or you take on new clients and it can rear its ugly head again then. So certainly starting out a new business can be a trigger because you're surrounded by people. And I know certainly when I started out, I felt like I was surrounded by all of these people who had been doing it for years, knew everything that they were talking about and who, who was little old me and why would anyone choose to work with me as a coach or as a consultant? And, you know, you have all of these messages going in and it's it's difficult to be able to manage all of that at the same time. Even with the launch of my new program, the Imposter 2 Empowered program. And if you do want to know more about that, go to impostersyndrome.ie forward slash imposter to empowered, all one word. I wanted to keep it quiet. I didn't want to make a big hullabaloo about it. I wanted to have a few people take the course with me, test it out, see what it was like, and then release it to the masses, if you like. And someone called me out on that and I really, really appreciate them doing that. But they said, are you just hiding? You know, are you just, what's the problem with just putting it out there? And I realized I was getting in my own way and I was letting my own imposter syndrome take over on that messaging. So now I've kind of flipped the script on that and I want to tell everyone about this. I know that I can help people with this course. I know that this these techniques work because I've worked with my clients over the last two years using this specific method. And I was just getting in my own way and going through that process and using the techniques on myself, which I had done before, but using it again for the fact that someone else had called me out on on what I was doing and how I was getting in my own way. It was really great to be able to use that process again and get to that next level and really push through and be like, right, I'm here and I'm showing up. Listeners often get in touch with me to let me know what has resonated with them when they listen to the podcast, some of the practical actions that they have taken as a result of listening. And to me, that really, really means the world because it shows that the work I'm doing is having an impact. But they also wonder how can they actually work with me on a deeper level? And that's why I wanted to share with you today. And I don't often do this. I don't often talk about the work that I do, but I'm launching a new program called Imposter to Empowered. And I would love to tell you more about it. You can go over to the website impostersyndrome.ie if you want to find out more about what imposter syndrome actually is and the steps that you can take and find out more details about the program. 
Imposter syndrome is that voice in your head that tells you you're not good enough, that it really holds you back from putting yourself forward from opportunities, that people will judge you and think that you're a total fraud, that you have no idea what you're talking about. But also you think that other people think that you are better than you actually are and that you somehow have pulled the wool over their eyes all this time. It can happen when things like we start a new job, we get promoted to a managerial position, we start out in our careers, or we've reached a level that we think we should feel a little bit differently. We feel like we should have it all sussed out now at this time. But that's not always the case. And this nagging feeling is still there. So with this program, it's a six week online program with interactive group coaching sessions. With this program, the aim is to identify what your imposter is saying and take some really practical steps towards managing and overcoming your inner imposter. If you want to know more, like I said, head to the website impostersyndrome.ie or feel free to reach out directly to me on LinkedIn, Aoife O'Brien. And I look forward to working with you on a deeper level to manage and overcome your inner imposter. Moving on then to who gets imposter syndrome. And interestingly, the perception out there seems to be that it's mostly women. It's a women's problem and it, and it really impacts on women. But actually, it's men and women who experience imposter syndrome. So there's there's no need to really downplay what it, what's going on for men as well. It can happen to men just as well as it can happen to women. Now, the thing about men and women. I posted, when I first started talking about imposter syndrome, I posted on LinkedIn and I was surprised at the number of men who either commented or messaged me privately saying, thank you. Thank you for giving this a name. I had no idea that this was a thing. I thought just me felt like that. I thought it was just me. And, and it definitely can be a really lonely experience. And this is it. We think, being vulnerable is going to expose us. It's going to actually let people know that we really are imposters. And and so you can't really talk about it. And there seems to be this taboo around it as well. So I was so surprised about the number of men who contacted me saying, thank, just thank you for naming it. And I think that's, that's one of the core and we will get on to what we can do about it, but just understanding that it is a thing and naming it is really, really important. So 70% of people at some point in their career will get it. It is both, it affects both men and women, but I think men and women handle it in quite different ways. And I'm sure you've heard the statistic before where if a woman has nine out of 10 of the criteria to apply for a job, she will say, well, I don't have all 10, so I won't apply. Whereas Typically, and of course, this is a general sweeping statement. If a man has six out of 10, he thinks, well, I'm going to apply because I can learn how to do the rest. And, you know, that is backed by research. And I think that that epitomizes the difference in how both men and women deal with imposter syndrome. So by accepting the job that is offered, a man thinks, okay, great, I can do this and I can learn how to do the rest. Whereas a woman, if she gets the job, she sees an even bigger gap between the perception of what she should be able to do and what she's actually bringing to the role. So the gap widens and the imposter syndrome gets worse. 
I want to also reiterate the point that when we have imposter syndrome, we do feel very much like we are alone, that it's something that we can't really verbalize, that we can't be vulnerable about because we then would be exposing ourselves. And it can feel like a really lonely experience. And I just want to acknowledge that, that you are not alone, that it's 70% of people at some point in their career will get it. So If you reach out to someone, you don't even have to say that you have imposter syndrome, but if you reach out to someone for support, it's very likely that they will have experienced what you're going through at the moment as well. I'm going to talk now about the five different types of imposter as well. So there are five different types. And the interesting thing with this is for me, I can relate to at least two or three of the different types. Now I'll I'll go through them and I'll explain a little bit more about what each one is and, and how that shows up. But just know as I go through each of the different types, just kind of have a think about what resonates or what you can relate to most when I'm talking about the different types. And I will illustrate or I will highlight the different ones that I relate to as well. So the first one is the perfectionist and the perfectionist, you know, the clue is in the title. They want everything to be absolutely perfect. So for the perfectionist, mistakes are intolerable. So they will not stand for making mistakes. They want to make sure that everything is absolutely perfect. And the ways that this can show up is through over planning, overthinking, over preparing. And when when a mistake inevitably happens, then they blame themselves and they think, well, I'm obviously not good enough. And, you know, I, I, I really am an imposter. I'm not as good as other people think I am because I made this mistake. And so it reinforces the belief of being an imposter. And this is one that I can certainly relate to as a recovering. I like to call myself a recovering perfectionist. I do have a strong eye for detail. I do strive for excellence in everything I do. And I and I'm trying to put the focus more on excellence rather than perfectionism, because we do all make mistakes. It is human to make a mistake. And if you don't make any mistakes, then, you know, how much time are you spending actually invested and what return is that giving to you as well? Or at least that's what I like to think about it. And for me, some of the ways that that might have shown up in the past would be in college assignments and spending additional time, making sure that there's no typos, making sure everything is exactly the way it should be, making sure all the references are complete. And, you know, depending on what what the assignment was for or what the grade was for the assignment, it could be that the time was, wasn't well spent. So for the additional time I spent in checking those things, how much was that contributing towards the grade in, you know, that's kind of simply a way to put it. The second type then is the natural genius. And this is the kind of person who was born with really strong academic skills. So everything always came quite easy and naturally to them. And if you think in, let's say in the Irish context, English, Irish, maths were the sort of the standard subjects that we had in school. And this person, was always quite good at those things and they could pick up new subjects quite easily and and naturally. And so this is the environment that they grew up in, that they became familiar with. 
But as time progresses and you try new things and things don't come easily and things don't come naturally and you have to put in some effort and you have to try, this is when the imposter rears its ugly head and says, if you have to try, if you have to put in an effort, then maybe you're not good enough and you you don't belong here and this is not what you should be doing. So that is another one and, and another one that I can certainly relate to as well as my career has progressed. The third one then is the soloist. And again, this is one that I can definitely relate to. The soloist is the kind of person who likes to do things alone, but it's not just about working alone. It's about the achievement that you get. And so for this reason, they very rarely ask for help. Even if they know they need help, they feel like they should do something by themselves. In addition to not asking for help, even if help is offered, they will tend to turn it down. They will tend to say no to help because the perception is if you've got help in trying to achieve what it is that you're trying to achieve, that you somehow the achievement or the accomplishment is not your own because you've had this outside support, that you don't deserve the accomplishment because someone else has helped you to achieve it. So it's a really, really interesting one. And I know I often struggle to ask for help. And even if help is offered, I will have to really strongly think before accepting that help. So it's something definitely to be aware of. And if this is something that happens to you, find a way to ask for help in a way that feels comfortable for you. And also if help is offered, it's offered because it's it's it would genuinely help you you know so maybe have a think about how to how to accept help and really recognize that the accomplishment that you achieve is still is your accomplishment it's still your achievement even though you've had the support in order to get there the fourth type of imposter then is the superhero and the superhero is the kind of person who wants to be good at absolutely everything and this extends even beyond the work context i know typically i talk about work but if you think about the kind of person and you might know someone or i certainly know a cliche of this person it's the the busy mom, you know, who hosts parties, who's great at baking, who does all the entertaining, who also holds down a full time job. So you try to be good at absolutely everything all at the same time. So it's kind of like the perfectionist, but you're spinning multiple different plates. So the perfectionist might be focused on just one core area that they want to be really, really good at. The the superhero is really kind of broadening that scope of wanting to be good at absolutely everything. And they want to be good at it all. They want to have it all, not realizing that no one can absolutely have it all. And so this, if they, if they can't achieve across those multiple different domains, they perceive that they're, they're somehow inferior to other people, that they're not good enough, that they're not as good as people perceive them to be. This, you know, it could be this outside veneer that they present to the world versus what's really going on inside and the turmoil that they feel inside because they're really, really struggling with trying to manage everything all at the same time. The fifth and final type then is the expert. And the irony here is that the expert really shies away from being called an expert. 
this is the kind of person who loves to consume content. They want to be knowledgeable. They have this insatiable thirst for knowledge, but they never feel like they have enough knowledge to be known as the expert. So they don't like to be called the expert. They can be seen taking just one more course. I just need to do this one more qualification and then I'll be ready. There's always just one more, just one more. And they tend to be consuming a lot of other people's content rather than posting and sharing their own knowledge because the perception is that they don't have enough knowledge to be able to share. So if you think about it kind of in the perfectionism type of arena, it's you want to know absolutely everything there is to know about your subject matter and you want to be the expert in that field, but you never reach a stage where you perceive yourself to be the expert because there's always more to learn. And the the kind of the old adage comes to mind, this idea that the more you know, the more you know you don't know. And so this is the kind of thing that can impact the expert imposter type. Now we're moving on to what can we actually do to manage our imposter syndrome. And as with everything that I'm talking about on this show, I'm going into much more detail into each of these different concepts on the Imposter 2 Empowered program. So if you would like to know more about the program, go to impostorsyndrome.ie forward slash imposter to empowered. I devised a framework and I'll call it the ABC and I made it simple for people to remember the key elements of what is involved. So A is for acknowledge, B is for believe and C is for courageous action. So starting with A, it's really about acknowledging the fact that what you have is imposter syndrome. So as I mentioned, It can be really sneaky in some ways and you don't realize that you're getting in your own way. You're holding yourself back and it's the voice in your head and it can be sometimes a whisper in your head, but it's acknowledging that it is imposter syndrome that is holding you back. And that's that's all it is. It's not true. It's not what other people are thinking about you. It's simply in your head and knowing that you have a choice, that you can choose whether you listen to that voice or you can choose whether to ignore that voice. I often tell people to thank the imposter, because if you try and fight against it, then you might encounter some resistance. It sounds like there's kind of multiple personalities going on here, but it's about listening to that voice, recognizing that it exists to protect us from danger. It's It senses a fear, like the fear of judgment, the fear of failure, the fear of success. But if we can push beyond that and, and show, you know, appreciate that that's what the imposter exists for and acknowledge that it's imposter syndrome, but we choose to do something with that information and always know that you you have this choice. So first of all, acknowledging it and armed with that awareness. And as I mentioned, when I posted on LinkedIn, so many people were just happy that it was acknowledged that this is a thing and I'm not the only one who feels this way. So armed with that knowledge, admitting to yourself, it could be admitting to someone else, 
Another way to acknowledge it is to name it. So either name it as imposter syndrome, but going a step beyond and giving the imposter a name. So I have named my imposter Sandra. And I do apologize to anyone out there who is called Sandra. No, no offense is intended whatsoever but I do name it Sandra. And so when I talk to a friend about what it is I'm doing, she'll be say, is that Sandra speaking or is that Aoife speaking? So am I speaking from a place of fear or am I speaking from a place of empowerment, essentially? So first of all, acknowledge, 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 acknowledge. This is imposter syndrome that is speaking. Step two then is B for believe. So that's about building up your own self-belief. So having a look at what are those things that the imposter is actually saying? What are the current beliefs that you have about yourself and how are they shaped or how are they marred in some way? So listing all of the things that the imposter says, but then trying to flip that around, trying to turn that into something that is empowering, something that can help you to believe in yourself and still be remaining true. It's still something that is true. Some people really struggle to find that sense of self-belief. They're just so far beyond that they don't know, they can't recognize their own achievements, they can't really, they can't really think for themselves. So for me, the first step is listing out, well, what are the achievements that you have had? What are the successes that you have had? And it doesn't have to be just in a work context. It can be in a personal context as well. And so for me, one of the big achievements I always, and I probably don't talk about it very much on the podcast, but I've traveled independently all over the world. And if I think about that as a success or as an achievement that I've had in my life, what kind of skills were required in order to be able to achieve that? And what kind of skills did I gain? What kind of skills did I learn by doing that? So putting the focus back on, like, what are the things that you have achieved in your life and in your career and what are the skills that are required in order to do that. Another really great way to understand a bit more about yourself and how you are perceived by others is to simply ask them. So reach out to people and ask for feedback and if you can't take the constructive feedback, if you're in a place where you can't really take that Um, you know, anything that's too negative, then ask just for the positive feedback. You know, why was I given this promotion? Why did, why was I hired for this particular role? Or asking your friends, like, what am I good at that no one else is good at? And what am I best at of all the things I do? What am I actually best at? So they are some ways to, to help to build up your sense of belief in yourself, because we all have our strengths. We all have things that we are particularly good at, even if we don't recognize them ourselves. And sometimes it's hard to recognize them ourselves because it's so easy and natural, you know, things that come easy and naturally to us, we don't even think that they are a strength. The third step then is courageous action. So that's really thinking about what is one small step that I can take to move myself forward. So I recognize that this is imposter syndrome. 
What can I do to take a step in the right direction? Because once you start taking action, that's when the confidence comes. It's you don't think your way into confidence. You need to start acting and then receiving, you know, having small wins and then you build up your confidence, you build up momentum and you take start larger steps then after as well. So certainly when I identified that imposter syndrome was holding me back from talking about the Imposter 2 Empowered course and how ironic is that in itself, I identified some very particular steps that I wanted to take to put myself out there, to make myself visible. And so one of them is just by talking about the program, just by letting people know, by sharing on Facebook, on my personal page, uh, in my Facebook group, on my Facebook page, talking about it on LinkedIn, going live on LinkedIn, um, you know, talking about it on, on other social media like Twitter and Instagram, but just really putting it out there, putting myself out there. And the thing to bear in mind with this, when we start taking action and the big fear is fear of judgment and fear of failure, but it's it's building that into how you perceive what's going on around you. So if you start taking action, it's about, it's not about failure. So if things don't work out according to plan, it's about learning. It's not about failure. So what can I learn from this experience? So therefore there's no, I mean, I hate the word failure anyway. I don't think there is any such thing. There's always an opportunity for to learn whether things have gone well or whether things have not gone not so well. There's always an opportunity to learn. So building that in and also asking people for feedback and asking people for help. And I'm talking to you soloists out there. So if you feel like you're struggling in some way, reach out, find a way that's comfortable for you and reach out and ask and ask someone for help or accept the help that is very likely being offered to you. So some ways that you can demonstrate courageous action or to start taking steps towards courageous action, speaking up. So speak up in a meeting. Sometimes we let imposter syndrome hold us back from actually sharing our opinions because we think we have nothing to add. So speaking up in a meeting, sharing some of yourself, being vulnerable, like that might be a little bit too extreme for some people. Um, but I know certainly for me, when I, I get that positive reinforcement, when I show a little bit more vulnerability, when I show a little bit more of myself and putting yourself out there, whether that's on social media, it could be applying for a promotion, it could be applying for an award, it could be applying for a new job even. So find ways to actually put yourself out there to, to you don't necessarily have to be in the spotlight, but start engaging again. So they are just some ideas that you can have uh, for courageous action. And just to reiterate, in the Imposter to Empowered program, I will be going into much deeper level across all of the things that I've spoken about today, um, especially around the what can we do about it, because I think that is one of the most important areas of it. If you would like to know more about the program, you can find out more at impostersyndrome.ie. And so if you go to the homepage on that website, you will find a link to go to the Imposter to Empowered page or you can go straight to the page at impostersyndrome.ie forward slash imposter to empowered. Just to quickly recap on what we talked about today, 
or what I talked about rather, I talked about what imposter syndrome actually is, how it shows up, when it shows up. So what are some of the triggers? Who gets imposter syndrome? The five different types of imposters. So there's soloist, superhero, expert, perfectionist, and natural genius. I would love to know. Message me on LinkedIn, uh, do a comment, or connect with me through Instagram. I would love to know which one you are. You can also check out the quiz on the imposter syndrome website, impostersyndrome.ie forward slash quiz. And I've put together a quiz that determines which one of those imposter types you are. I also talked about what we can do about it and that is the ABC, acknowledge, believe and courageous action. The last thing I'll leave you with and and just as I was going through the who gets it, I realised that I completely neglected to mention that it's not just us normal people who get imposter syndrome. There's so many celebrities out there who have talked about imposter feelings. So they're kind of looking around themselves thinking, I don't belong here. I just got lucky. One day they're going to realise that I'm not up to the job or I'm not a great actor or whatever it might be. Um, But it it impacts all of us. It's a human condition. So again, if you would like to know more about the Imposter to Empowered program, you will find it on impostersyndrome.ie forward slash imposter to empowered, all one word. I look forward to seeing you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love if you could rate or review the podcast or share it with a friend. You'll find me on the website happieratwork.ie.